Oh, snap! The world is finally waking up to the crap that's baked into and sprayed on kibble dog food. No longer can commercial pet food manufacturers fool us with pretty pictures and false promises. This is the raw dog food truth. The view and opinions expressed on this podcast are not intended to replace medical advice. Before starting any raw diet, do research, ask lots of questions, and consult your vet. Well, hello, raw feeders. I'm Dee Dee Mercer Moffat, the CEO of Raw Dog Food and Company, where your pet's health is our business and we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. Well, we are moving Dr. Judy Jasek to Wednesdays. We're moving you to Wednesdays, Dr. Jasek. How do you wow. like that? We're moving you up. We're giving the midweek bump to everybody. I get to be on hump day now. You're on a hump day. <laughs> yeah, because we're saying hump to it, people. Let's go. <laughs> Listen up. Yeah. Uh, we've got so much to talk about today. We're going to have a great show today. So first and foremost, um, this is from Ann W. Ann W. listens to the podcast. She said, just received our first package and I loved the packaging with the cute personalized touch. And I kept the insulated box for future traveling. My dogs and cats we're very interested in unpacking. Only one dog out of four and our cat actually ate the mackerel, but I ground up most of one box to mix in with the breakfasts. Love hearing your podcast. You gals rock. Thank you so much, Anne. Yay, thank you. Thank nice. you. Yeah, very, very nice. Very, very nice. Um, and we've got lots of great reviews over at the Raw Dog Food website, rawdogfoodandcompany.com. Um, this is uh, the beginner's choice somebody is reviewing from Diane. She has a, a golden retriever that's between one to two years of age. They switched over from kibble. And she said for the beginner's choice, first time feeding this blend, which my dog loved. I like the variety and it was a good introduction to a few things she's not had um, as we're pretty new to raw feeding. So far, raw dog food has provided great food and snacks. Thanks so much, Diane. Lots of reviews over uh, almost 900 reviews now over Raw Dog Food and Company. So go over there and take a look. You can take a look at some of the blends. I got this review from Mike. Uh, his dogs love the beef blend, by the way. He said his boxers love it. We've had three generations of boxers and can say after feeding them a raw diet that they have never been so healthy. They attack their mm. food because they love it. I don't, you know, people like contact me, like, how do I get my dog to eat slower? I don't think they need to really. It, that's the way dogs are meant to eat. They're got to, you know, if you think of a wolf in the wild, like they got to eat all this food before the grizzly bear comes to share in their prey, you know, right. They got their systems are designed to kind of gorge themselves. And then they go, you know, find a nice cool spot and, you know, sleep off, sleep off the food coma, you right. know, but they're, but they're designed to do that. And I think people aren't used to it because they're, if their dogs are eating kibble, they don't like it and it's not a natural food. And they're like, oh, I guess this is all I get, you know? And then they get this raw food and then like eat it like, like, oh my God, finally I have real food. And that's exactly right. And that's okay. It's fine for dogs to eat fast. Yeah. And there are some dogs that don't like certain blends. All right. So yeah. people will text me and say, hey, my dog's not, you know, jazzed about this. You guys, it's not bacteria. Um, it's not bacteria related, right? So a lot of people think my dog's picking out the bacteria. He knows better not to eat it. Well, I wish that was true. Then we wouldn't have to take the, you know, the, the, um, 
rat poisonings away uh, from dogs and and things like that. What what they're typically finding is that you know it doesn't have enough fat or it's uh, there's too many organs or there's not enough organs. I mean, there's all different kinds of things. Or people have been feeding the same blend for too long. So what I would always suggest is that you just take that blend out of the rotation for a little bit and put something else in, right? And and as much as we preach variety, 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 um, we as humans get stuck in a routine where we just feed the same things over and over again. I literally can look at uh, some of my customers and they have fed the same thing for a year. Oh, geez. Yeah. A year. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I know that you're like, well, my dog loves it. Yes. I'm sure they do, but we've got to get some of those other animals and those other organs and those other bones involved in the mix. Yeah. I always suggest to people to, you know, reintroduce things. If a dog for whatever reason doesn't like a certain blend, then sometimes it's hard to figure that out. I don't know, especially sometimes when dogs are first transitioning to raw and if they've had like digestive issues, just for whatever reason, certain blends just appeal to them more. So I always tell people just roll with those, but then circle back. Like you said, continue to reintroduce it. Cause what I found is, is their digestion gets stronger. They'll accept more of the different blends, you know, just sometimes like if you're not feeling good, like I say, a dog's had GI issues or they've been on, you know, medications or a kibble diet and their guts a little inflamed, you know, there's just certain things you, you don't want to eat when you don't feel good. Yeah. And there are so many blends out there, guys. And a lot of people try to compare primal or vital essentials or any of the commercial raws to a pure raw. It is just not the same. Okay. If you turn the bag over and take a look at it, there's so much stuff in that. So um, this is just meat, bones, organ, and fat, maybe some tripe, maybe some uh, a, a little 7% fruits and veggies. So not the same, uh, but if you're having issues that you cannot conquer like the itchies or gut issues through commercial raw, I think it's well worth your time to move them over to a pure raw. All right. Speaking of raw, Dr. Jasek, this is one that I have not heard a vet say before, but now we have. I'm going to read this. Uh-oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, this is from Leone. Leone. Leone says, hi there. I love listening to your podcast. I show and breed Yorkshire Terriers. I've changed all of my dogs to raw and they are doing really well. I can't believe that I've spent 15 years feeding what I thought was the best and they always would get upset stomachs. Never anymore. Now I have a pregnant bitch and the fertility vet says no raw through the pregnancy because a pathogen can get into the fetus's brain. It doesn't make sense to feed a cooked commercial food in the most demanding uh, at the most de- demanding time for their bodies. I've tried to find a podcast where you talk about feeding pregnant bitches, but I can't find anything. Please help. I'm so confused. You know that's that's interesting because I work with a, a German Shepherd breeder here nearby where I live and and do puppy exams and things like that. And um, I don't know if this person's in our area, but I, she told me the exact same thing. She says she was told by the repro vet that they use that um, any, if you're feeding your dogs raw, that any um, puppy reabsorption is going to be because of the raw food, just like flat out. 
and and they they're very animate raw eaters. And uh, matter of fact, she told me that they had tried to save cost. Um, they were they in, tried to in, reintroduce some kibble to their puppies, and they said it was just such a god awful mess that there that these big stinky poops and like their whole house smelled. And they said it was just awful, and never again would they um, try to reintroduce uh, kibble. But the the question about the pregnant bitch. So I know I, I've talked to a number of breeders over the years that feed raw. I, I don't think they even I don't think they even really need to change you know, what you're feeding, you just need, it's probably extra important that the diets are proportioned correctly, that they're getting, you know, the organs and the bones. So they're getting the balanced vitamins and minerals that the dog needs. But I I mean, I've known a number of breeders that have fed raw all through dog's pregnancy with no problem. So that's just raw, raw paranoia, you know, they don't know. And so they're, you know, and it, you know, sometimes I think it just gets the vets off the hook. They don't know why I could blame it on the raw. They got a really easy scapegoat right there. So they don't, they don't have to go any further or think anymore, try to come up with some other reason why maybe, you know, um, the bitch lost some puppies. Well, I said to, uh, Lee Oni, I said, well, we would love to see that documentation if they actually have some sort of real documentation where they can show that that's what you know that that's an issue then then we're willing to look at that we've never seen it i mean there are tons of raw uh feeder breeders out there raw feeding breeders right um and it's it just makes zero zero sense to me in regards to the mom needing more food, follow her lead. If she wants more raw meaty bones or if she wants more dairy or she wants more this or more that, you know, let her have that. But to feed a dry um, or prescription diet that has substandard um, ingredients, plant proteins, synthetics, preservatives does not make any sense to me. That would be like, I'm going to eat, um, you know, potato chips and McDonald's through my whole pregnancy. Right. Not to mention the toxins, the, the glyphosate and some of the toxins in there that could directly be damaging the fetuses. Yeah. You're, you know, the most stressful time of her life and you're going to put her on this, you know, totally crappy diet. It makes no sense at all. All right. From another customer, um, her dog, uh, she is a raw feeder. And of course, Dr. Jacek, a lot of times we don't get all the information, but she had a dog that she said was, um, what did she say? Collapsing after it ate, not being able to jump and not moving. And she wanted to know if it had something to do with the raw. Maybe the raw was spoiled. But what would we see if a dog, if it had to do with the food? I've never, I've never heard of a dog collapsing and not moving because they're eating a raw diet. No, no. I was actually, when you sent that over to me, I was pretty concerned that that dog had something else more serious going on because that should not be the case. So that's why, you know, if a person gets food poisoning, what do you do? You vomit and or have diarrhea. Your body gets rid of it. Well, how's it going to get rid of food 
it, it has to get rid of it through the GI tract. Like it's, it's going to vomit or diarrhea. I mean, those are going to be the most common signs. Now it really doesn't make any sense. I mean, I couldn't come up with any reason why a dog would collapse like that after, after eating, especially we know it's eating a good food. Um, and I thought that was very concerning that, um, that, you know, she was just attributing it to the food. And it didn't sound like at that time she was seeking other medical advice. Right. I was like, why wouldn't you take your dog to the vet if it was collapsing? I would. Did you ever hear any more on that? Did not. Yeah. Did not. Sometimes we get these strange things that happen, but uh, we always want to share that with our listeners out there in case they run across the same issue. Um, so here's another one. This one, Dr. Jasek, um, let's see. This one is, I'm looking for some advice for my 20-pound 10-year-old pug mix. She has had tight fascia, and now has facial adhesions. She's had five surgeries procedures in the last two years because she was diagnosed with a very small mast cell tumor that was completely removed. Yikes. I'm especially worried about the deep ones in her abdomen and potentially intestines. She had a lump removed from just below the center of the rib cage three months ago, and now her abdomen is hard and lumpy. She has had loose stools and chronic upset stomach for a few years. Um, She does the leaky gut protocol and she gives several supplements. Uh, But she says we're working with an integrative vet who does chiropractic care for her. Um, And they do the ACC loop. They do uh, it, which she said that loop device seems to help loosen her skin and muscles a bit. She said, I just don't see any improvement in her mobility and she's painful in her neck, hips and middle back. I'm looking for advice for what supplements, food, exercise, stretching, massage, or basically anything to help with her discomfort. Um, I'm afraid if I can't help her soon, her quality of life will continue to dwindle. Any suggestions are greatly uh, appreciated. That's that's a interesting it's an interesting one i i would be interested to dig into the history of that more and when this started because something like that i mean the first thing i think of is like an autoimmune type thing you know when you have chronic inflammation like especially all over the body like that's pretty unusual and you, you know you wouldn't necessarily see that um you know associated with the masses i mean as far as the masses go stop getting them removed because I see that a lot with mast cells. You remove one and then they just keep popping up all over the place. So, you know, you definitely want to do that. But as far as that, like fascial pain, um, you know, I, I would wonder about like an autoimmune um, type reaction. I, I talked to somebody a few weeks ago, dogs, dog was diagnosed with it was paniculitis, which is basically like inflammation of the fat layer or something. It's really when dog was like, kind of like these symptoms, just like painful all over. And, um, but it was a puppy. So I figured it was probably some vaccine vaccine reaction. And so we, I treated it like an autoimmune disease and, uh, and it got better. And I would be thinking something like that in, in this dog, cause that's pretty, 
pretty unusual. So the fascia is like that. So if you look at, you know, say a piece of beef, like a steak or something, you know, and you got that shiny kind of tissue that kind of runs through the, through the muscles, that's the fascia. And there's a fascial system through the whole body that helps actually move the muscles. I've had my, myself, um, rolfing work done, which is a form of soft tissue work. And that's what it does is it releases that fascia. Cause sometimes the fascia can tighten up and, and kind of pulls the skeleton out of alignment. So say you got a chiropractic adjustment, but it didn't, they didn't hold. Sometimes you need to get that fascia to, uh, to release, to allow the, um, to allow that the, like the spine or a lot of the skeletal system to take, you know, it's not, it's natural form, but for, but, you know, so like in a certain spot, like I get a lot of tension in my neck and shoulders, but you know, if it's all over the body, I would again, think more autoimmune or some sort of systemic inflammation. How do you tell in a dog that it's all over the body though? Well, that is, that is a bit subjective, but as, as compared to say a dog, we're just limping, like, you know, it's like obvious, it's just one leg that's always sore or they always do um, a certain thing. Like a dog has a torn ACL, they're going to be holding up that one leg. If, if they have more widespread pain, like I've seen this in some dogs that get like a polyarthritis, which is another autoimmune thing, their joints get inflamed again, a lot of times after, after vaccinations, the symptoms will change. Like they always act painful, but the symptoms will always look a little bit different and it'll, it'll, they'll move to different parts of the body. Like they might limp on one leg, then limp on another leg. And they just look stiff and stiff and sore, but it's not always isolated to one part of the body. As I was listening to Amanda Vollmer, okay. Mm -hmm. And I was watching a podcast that she did or a, a video cast where there was a debate with an allopathic doctor and Amanda Vollmer, which is holistic, right? She -hmm. said, look, if you get the body back to homostasis, right, where it's balanced, the body will recover, right? And and he just did not want to hear that. And she said, you know what? You guys never get out of your box. You know, you, you, you have a certain path that you go down and nothing else can be true. And it was so amazing that by the time this because she's pretty brilliant in what she says by the time this two-hour debate was over he said these words i have to believe what the doctrine is or i cannot graduate from medical school Mm. interesting and a lot of this debate was about terrain theory versus germ theory right Mm -hmm. because in 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 terrain theory it is you get the body detoxed you um get the blood detoxed you feed it the right foods you give it the right water you take the stress away the emfs and the and the body will begin to heal and that is just not a concept that is in our veterinary medicine it's not in our human medicine it is not in our veterinary medicine, 
right? And so every time I get these emails, it's it's like all of these medications are stacked. All of these different procedures are stacked. And so when you when you ask a question, how many vaccines, how many antibiotics, how many surgeries, what are you feeding? What's the water? It all matters. Absolutely. I mean, health is is natural. Health is a natural state and the body will heal, like she said, once we get it into balance. And I think that what unfortunately so much of what modern conventional medicine does is it creates disease by by putting up roadblocks to health and healing through all of these vaccines and pharmaceuticals and poor diets. If we just get out of the way and let the body do what the body knows how to do naturally, pets, pets would be healthy. I, I really think I thought for a long time, if we correct the nutrition, so get pets on a healthy, balanced, raw diet, and we stop poisoning them with vaccines and pharmaceuticals, I bet probably 85, 90% of the chronic illnesses we see would be gone, be completely gone. But why don't they teach vets this? And I'm sure, you know, if this, this uh, doctor that Amanda Volmer was talking to, sounds like he's, you know, still in med school or shortly out of med school. Yeah. That's when they, that's where they get indoctrinated. And I think it might be hard for a young practitioner to realize how much they've been, you know, duped in, in medical school till they get out in the real world and they and they see what's going on. I mean, that's what happened to me. I mean, I was trained just like every other conventional veterinarian, but then I got out and after I'm out for a number of years, I'm like, this isn't this isn't working. This isn't helping our pets. If you just open your mind to to see but what's what i think is really sad is practitioners they they just lose that desire to learn they just want to practice in the way they were taught and you know that's their safety zone because that's the quote unquote standard of care and they don't want to open their minds to learn new things and i don't know if it's like they don't want to say, oh, well, I used to do it that way, but now I've learned that's not the best way. You know, now I'm going to do it this other way. That's, that's practicing. That's learning. I mean, I'm always learning new things. If I learn something new that can help my patients more, like I'm excited about it. I don't think there's nothing wrong with not knowing it. I didn't know it before now I'm, but I'm constantly learning. And now I have some new tools that it just, it just baffles me that practitioners just won't open their minds to say, wow, look, I could use something like, you know, DMSO, which Amanda talks a lot about. Maybe I could integrate that in my practice. Maybe we could try that. Maybe I could help pets more. They, they just, they just don't, they just don't want to know. They just want to stay in their, you know, little, little comfortable box and not, you know, not venture out of it. It's really pretty sad. And his attitude towards her was very much the attitude that I see the veterinary community have towards raw feeders, right? Like we're the doctors. We went mm-hmm. to school. Mm-hmm. You didn't go. You didn't have all the training. I studied all this. I know what's best, right? She was very kind. He talked over her. He, it was like he was wherever she would go, he would go somewhere else. But by the end of it, you could tell that she had 
cracked open something in his brain because of what he said and just the look on his face. He was like, maybe I am wrong, right? Because what she was pointing out was your methods for testing. This was one of the best lines she ever had. If you really want to end this debate between germ theory and terrain theory, then why don't you do these tests? That's all you have to do is do these tests this way and you'll end this because either I'm going to be right or I'm going to be wrong. So do the test, but they won't do the test. They won't even look. They won't even even look. It's just like the, you know, the vets that criticize raw feeding. How many patients have they ever had that ate raw? Probably none. So how do they know? They they don't know. They're just they're just spewing out the the popular propaganda and they're not, you know, bothering to sit back and think that, oh, maybe this is a better diet for dogs. Well, it's sort of like I saw an influencer that uh she's a young girl, uh, but she's charging people and influencing people based on a fertility and birthing coach. Now she didn't have a child. Right. Mm -hmm. So my point is you cannot teach that which you don't have any experience in. Right. Now you can speak about it. You can, you know, have a bunch of people following you, but that would sort of be like, um, Hey, I'm going to tell you about cooking, but I don't really cook. Right. I eat at McDonald's every day, but I'm going to teach you how to cook. Because right? you can't, you don't, I mean, the, the book knowledge, when I look back now, my, you know, I've been practicing 35, you know, years. And when I look back now to when I first got out of school, I didn't know anything. I mean, I knew what I'd been taught, but you know, that was just the book knowledge. You don't have that, you know, just the real, there's just no, I don't care what field it is. There's no substitute for real life experience, you know, and seeing what happens in the real world and you do things and, okay, this is what I was taught, but is that what's actually showing up in my, in my patients? You know, I, you just, you have to get out there in the, in the real world. So for a young practitioner to say, well, I know, because this is the way I was taught. It, it's like pretty much, you, you don't know anything at that stage. You just, you just know what's in the books and it's a starting point. You know, it, it, gets you, gets you out there, you know, the basics, but until you're out there, you know, in, in the real world, seeing what's, what's really happening, you, you really are not going to be a well-rounded practitioner. Well, that's why I always ask people who email and they're working with a vet or an oncologist or a fertility expert. I'm like, do they feed raw? Have they been feeding raw for years? Do they have any hands-on experience? You have to work with people who are looking in a different direction, are not beholden to the powers that be, the veterinary schools, right? You have to get out of that if you're ever going to see anything different. If not, you're going to go down the same allopathic route, right? And they're going to keep stacking medications upon medications. It would be well worth your time. It's a first step in the right direction, to get a second opinion. If our dog looks healthy and we've got these labs that don't match, that something's something's not right. 
And we yeah. have to look at it a different way. You've had some situations like that come up. Yep, absolutely. So um, the most recent case was a dog that um, it's just a very, very good pet parent. You know, she really likes to do everything she can for her dog. So we ran a routine thyroid panel. This dog does not, did not look like it had any symptoms whatsoever of having a low thyroid, but sometimes, you know, it's not, it's never a bad idea to get like a baseline for blood work. Then if anything changes and down the road, you have something to compare, compare back to, well, this dog tested low on his thyroid and like, okay, this makes no, this dog had no symptoms of hypothyroidism, which would be things like, you know, hair loss, dry flaky skin, you know, just persistent weight gain, like feed very little and they, they stay heavy, things like that, low energy. The dog had none of that. And so we were a little baffled by the results. So she said, first time, well, I'm going to just do some natural supplementation, some natural glandulars, which basically is you're feeding like a desiccated thyroid. And um, I think she introduced just a small amount of iodine into that. She researches a lot of stuff. So I'm just, I'm just going to try some you know, natural thyroid support and see what happens. So repeated the blood work, maybe eight weeks later, exact same, you know, still really low. And she's like, wow, it's pretty baffling. And I said, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So I said, you know, let's, let's get a second opinion on this. And, you know, I think it's important for everybody to realize that not all labs are the same. So if, if you are getting a diagnosis or getting, you know, lab results, your vet's telling you there's lab results that indicate a certain thing in your dog, you can ask to get that run elsewhere. So um, I went because this is thyroid. I went to uh, Michigan State University, which is known to have a really good endocrinology lab. We drew more blood, sent the blood out there. And lo and behold, the thyroid values were considered normal. Um, there was just a one value, just slightly low. But, you know, I mean, the blood works always a snapshot, you know, at that moment in time, these values are, are naturally fluctuating. So to see one that's just a tiny bit out of the normal range, and it's just one value is out of the normal range, that's not usually concerning. And they said they did not think this dog had any signs of, um, or any indication of hypothyroidism based on the lab work. And based on the other lab, they were recommending starting the dog on the synthetic hormone, which would have, this was a relatively young dog, would have uh, suppressed this dog's natural thyroid production. You know, if they're truly low, then the, the synthetic hormone can be indicated because they feel better. We need to replace that hormone. But when the clinical picture doesn't fit, or you think something just is not ringing true, um, you can get, you know, I do a lot of second opinions, you know, I can review lab work, you know, if it's just sometimes the numbers can be interpreted differently by different, different practitioners. So you can get a second opinion on those results, but you can also get a second opinion from another lab. Ask your vet if they'll do it. They may not, but um, just so that you know that that's available. And as in this case, sometimes the results can be quite different. Well, what was interesting about this case that you and I were discussing is this is a uh, the first lab where these results were read is a well-known online uh, vet 
uh, with the lab. Why do you think that they were so uh, stuck with the results that they had that showed this dog was uh, needing these medications? Were they also selling the medications or or do you think that they just didn't want to say my labs are wrong? I mean, I would have to say, so no, they don't. The The actual synthetic hormone, that's that's a prescription that you, you know, you have to get from a pharmacy. So they don't sell that. They don't recommend any particular brand. So I don't think they have any affiliation um, with the product, which was my first thought too. Like, gosh, are they like, you know, is there any financial incentive for them to be, you know, supporting their, their results? And uh, no, I don't believe there was. I, this particular lab has promoted themselves as being quote unquote better and more accurate than the other labs, you know, supposedly. So the other, like that they, they were supposed to be like, um, have better um, reagents. The way they process the blood was supposed to be more specific for dogs. Um, no, because I've heard the owner of the lab, you know, actually speak about this and that's what they claim was. So my, because that, because their response was so dismissive and basically they would, they were going to stand by their results and respectfully disagree with the results of, of the uh, Michigan state university. To me, it was more a matter of pride and they're not going to, uh, you know, keep, I mean, this is the only explanation I could come up with is they didn't want to lose that status of, of the, that they're trying to promote of the thyroid lab, like the go-to uh, thyroid, thyroid testing lab. But this case really gave me uh give me pause and I wouldn't, I, I won't, I won't send any blood work out there anymore. You know, it would be interesting though, to hear from them if they would have said, this is why we stand by our work because our labs do this, this, and this better than anyone else. And did that lab do this over hours or whatever? Did they, did they give you any kind of response like that? No, none, none, what's none whatsoever. There was one value on the the second panel that we sent off to MSU that was just slightly low. And they said, well, that, that one level, you know, is, is still concern is still concerning. And it was so, I mean, just barely out of the normal range and everything else being normal and very opposite of what their lab had reported. I know that if I had just sent in a panel to them and that had showed up like that one value was just a touch low. They would have never said this dog was hypothyroid. I've run a lot of panels with them and seen dogs that have some, you know, slightly low values. And they're like, now that's not, you know, low enough to be significant. I doubt very much that they would have ever said that this dog was hypothyroid based on that one low value, but they said, oh, that's, you know, that's still concerning. So I think it seemed to me they were trying to save face. And like you said, they didn't give any specifics like, well, you know, we do this and they do that. And this is why, you know, our results would be more accurate. Um, no, they didn't, they didn't do any of that. They just, they kind of just didn't, didn't want to hear about it was my impression. 
And they knew you were a vet and they know who you are. Oh, yeah. I, I sent a lot of blood panels into them. That's strange. So if so, let's go back to this for a second. This pet parent, um, why were they doing labs just just because this dog, they felt like this dog was lethargic or what was the reasoning that they were doing a a um, thyroid panel on this dog? Really just to be comprehensive. So this is a, a cancer patient that I've been working with and she sees a relatively young dog, only five years old. And she, you know, obviously was devastated by the cancer diagnosis and he's doing very well in that regard, but she's just being very comprehensive and just wants to make sure that I think he might've had a mother or a sister. They've had a couple dog related dogs. I think they have another dog that's related to him that may have had hypothyroidism. That might, now that I think about it, that might've been part of it, but he had no symptoms of hypothyroidism whatsoever. She was just being comprehensive and just wanted to do blood work, make sure everything else was okay. So we can keep him as healthy as possible. And, you know, nothing, you know, wrong with that, getting a, getting a, a baseline, but then this shows up and, you know, this dog could have been treated unnecessarily and completely wiped out its normal thyroid function. He would have been dependent on those meds for, you know, the rest of his life. Wow. Wow. So if you start a dog on thyroid medicine, which they do not need, it can really screw up your thyroid, huh? Yeah. If it's the true, like the actual synthetic hormones. So if you're giving a glandular, like just a, like a dried thyroid type thing, um, that's not going to, that's just giving them, and I'll do that. Since if dogs are a little symptomatic of a low thyroid or their values come back a little low, but they're not like, like some dogs, like their thyroid solo, like they, they don't ever want to get off the couch. They don't want to go for walks. They're overweight and you put them on the hormone and man, they just feel a ton better. Those dogs really benefit from it because they don't have the thyroid function, but there's a negative feedback loop that once you start giving that synthetic hormone tells the body, oh, we don't need to make this anymore. And if you do that long enough, the thyroid gland is going to going to atrophy and it could be hard to get that normal function back. If you're giving a glandular, like that's essentially dried thyroid from a cow or a pig or, you know, some, it could be from some other species, then you're just, you're giving the nutritional building blocks for a healthy thyroid. So that can support thyroid function without, without suppressing the normal function like the um, synthetic hormones will. Wow. Um, so what is the takeaway here, Dr. Jasek? Is it that if your dog's symptoms don't match the labs, then we need to question more, do yep, so. yep. many more opinions? Yeah. Get, get another opinion on the results or like I said, ask. And sometimes it's just even having them run again. If something seems a little bit off, you know, like I said, lab work, it's a, it's a snapshot at one particular point in time. And a lot of these values, the body is dynamic. They are changing. So if something seems really off, sometimes I'll just repeat that particular value. Like I just, something doesn't make sense. I would repeat it even at the same lab, but then if that becomes persistent, things still don't match up. 
you know, getting a, a panel run from another lab or just asking somebody else to look at the results and getting a different interpretation. Yeah, it's 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 crazy the things that um, get misdiagnosed out there. <laughs> I mean, I think I read some, I can't remember the number, but um, it, on the human side of how many people died because they were misdiagnosed and given the wrong medications, right? Yeah, well, I've heard the statistic that like doctors and, and <clears throat> medicine, the medical system in people is the third leading cause of death. Um, <laughs> like behind something like heart disease and cancer, that's medical mistakes, misdiagnoses, uh, you know, incorrect dosing medication, getting an infection while you're in the hospital, you know, those third leading cause of death, that's pretty profound. And that's pretty sad. That tells you how messed up our medical system is. Wait a minute. You mean we're not shutting down the hospitals when it's the third leading cause of death? <laughs> right. Well, this is um, this is why it's so important, you guys, to get a second opinion and maybe even a third opinion. But definitely, if you want to make sure that your dog is not being prescribed medications that can do irreparable harm. Well, when you went to vet school... And they're talking about medications. Did they ever talk about um, the package inserts? Did they ever talk about the side effects? Did they ever talk about this can cause harm to pets? What did they ever talk about that? No, not not like that. Like, oh, we're recommending use these medications, but here's the list of of, of side effects. It's you know, this is the appropriate treatment for this particular condition and, you know, appropriate dosing and things like that. But um, no, they don't, they want to train you to sell pharmaceuticals, not discourage you from dispensing them. So they just tell you, this is, this is the appropriate thing to do for this particular condition. And here's, you know, how many, you know, milligrams per pound or whatever the dosing is. And yep, that's, pretty much it. They're pretty much training, I think, medical professionals to, you know, support big pharma. And in the case of veterinarians, support the, the, uh, the big food companies, which they're all, I think, related. They're all the same corporations, but you know, you're, you're kind of being trained to be really salesmen, not, not medical practitioners, in my opinion. It seems like there would be a variance um, scale, right. That says, all right, if, if the side effects are this many and, and this devastating, then we're not going to go that way. Right. If, if it is proven that, um, the side effects are going to cause that, that the, that the cons outweigh the pros, we're not going to go that direction, but it is never looked at that way <laughs> ever. Mm -mm. No. No, I mean, if you, if you look at it, it's more about fear and it's more like about fear and profit. You know, it's like the, the, the chemo for dogs, mm -hmm. right? Which is not something that, that you recommend, but I don't know that I've ever heard a pet parent say, we went in and had a, 
a cancer diagnosis and we had a cancer consultation. And here are um, the reasons that I didn't go with chemo because I was presented that my dog would feel like this or it would do that or that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Nobody, only the people that come to you. Mm -hmm. But nobody else is getting that information. It's just like, look, chemo's the way to go. Take it out. We're going to do surgery and we're going to do chemo. And yeah. and dogs don't get sick from it. That's what the oncologists say. Oh yeah, dogs, dog, you know, people get sick on chemo, but dogs handle it much better. I've heard that so many times. Dogs handle it so much better. They don't, they don't get sick from chemo. That's what people are told. When people come to me like concerned about chemo, like kind of afraid of it, they've usually been like out on social media reading other people's experience. There's a lot of cancer groups on Facebook and other other places, and they will hear other people's experiences saying, yeah, I went down that road, never do it again. And it made my dog so sick. And that's what scares people. But you're right. It's not the, it it's not the practitioner. It's not the oncologist. And, you know, they don't, they don't have any other tools. They don't have, they've never seen anything else work because they don't practice that way. So that's all they have to offer. And if they feel like a pet for some reason is not suitable for chemotherapy. Sometimes if they're just too debilitated or they're older, they basically just send them home to die. They say, sorry, nothing I can do. Here's a bottle of pain meds. You know, they act uncomfortable and that's it. And it's really sad. And it's so, it's so devastating for pet parents because on the holistic side, there's always something you can do. Now I can't predict or guarantee any outcomes, but there's always something you can do, always something you can, you can try to, to see if you can turn the situation around, but, um, but yeah, they're, that's, that's their business. That's what they do. They sell chemotherapy, surgery, and radiation. And if you're not going to do those things, well, then, you know, it takes a long time for people's minds to be, um, unlocked from the narrative that we have been fed. And I, I would encourage all of our listeners to go listen to people like Amanda Vollmer, Dr. Thomas Cowan, Dr. Kaufman, some of these people that are really, really outside of the box, look into terrain theory versus germ theory. And you may um, have an aversion to it in the beginning. You're like, this can't be true. This cannot be the way it is because we have uh, you know, been told this narrative for so long and, and the, the world is, is mostly that way, right? It's mostly allopathic. It's mostly, um, germ theory, bacteria creates this and a virus and blah, 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 blah. What if that isn't really true? And I think that we could go in just with an open mind and say, what if, what does that look like? Right. And you have to listen to stuff over and over, Dr. Jasek. I mean, you know, you and I have been uh, challenged from Dr. Uh, Vollmer and Dr. Cowan ab about what we believe, about the immune system, about vitamin D, about, um, you know, uh, different types of medications. So it's, it's, uh, it's a tough one, but I think for our pet parents, it will help you to start understanding that, medications, all medications, 
in on the pharmaceutical side are going to have some sort of negative effect on the body. They just are. And I, and I think that we're, you know, you could say, well, we need antibiotics at some point. Yeah, we, we may. Right. Um, but where we are today is so far the other side where medications are being prescribed and being sold and being given just like in this situation where this, you know, hypothyroidism wasn't even a deal, wasn't even a thing. Right. And, they, and, th- it, and things like antibiotics are sometimes given out just because like they don't know what's going on, but they feel like they need to prescribe something. So they send antibiotics out the door with you and, and it may not even be a bacterial infection. There may be no sign that it's a bacterial infection, but they're like, well, I don't know. Let's just throw some antibiotics at it and see if, if things get better. And then a lot of times they do get better. But then I ask the question, well, is that because of the antibiotics or in spite of them? Was the dog, if just given a little extra time, would the dog have gotten better, you know, on its own because the body does know how to heal. Yeah much more than we believe it does. And we rush to, as Amanda was talking and she was saying, we rush to shut down the symptoms, right? When it's Mm -hmm. the body's way, as you were saying earlier, if the dog's vomiting or has diarrhea, it's the body's way of getting rid of something, right? So why are we trying to stop that from happening? The, these these are the things. I mean, look how many products are out there on the market today that are just stopping things from happening. And if you really understood that you were furthering a negative consequence by stopping that, then you would do something different, right? I just think that people don't know. They think they're doing the right thing because that's what we're being sold on TV all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And now I'm right. not saying that if, if you have, you know, continual diarrhea and something like that, that you don't need maybe IV fluids, it, you know, we're not saying that, right. We always want to stay hydrated, but yeah, I think it's a, it's, it's a way to um, look. And if, and if you want to do it, great. If you don't want to do um, the, uh, homeopathic way, but at least you have the information, you have a choice, right? You have a choice. Yeah. And I think it's important to, I mean, I, I push myself sometimes to listen to things that, you know, not really so much conventional things, but, you know, sometimes people in the alternative medicine world, like I'll hear things like, "Eh, I don't know that I agree with that, but it's still a good, mental exercise to listen to things. If you find the information a little uncomfortable, well, maybe ask yourself, why do you find the information uncomfortable? Do you need to learn more about this? Is it really untrue? Because there's a lot of false information out there too. But I think it's important to just, when you hear something that makes you feel a little uncomfortable, don't just shut it down. Find out why does that make you feel uncomfortable? If it turns out you know, you do a little more information or real more research and get a little more information. It turns out not to be true. Okay. Then you know that your intuition was right. But if it's just information that's pushing you outside of your comfort zone a little bit, like the first time I heard that viruses didn't exist, I thought, oh, that can't be true. This guy's got to be kooky. But I've listened to a lot of stuff 
over and over and over again from people like, you know, Dr. Colin and Kaufman and Amanda Homer. And then, and, and then I look at my experience as a medical practitioner and then I started to come around to, you know, this is really starting to make sense and knowing how corrupt the big pharma is and they're in the business of, you know, selling vaccines and pharmaceuticals, you know, it, it really makes a lot of sense. So sometimes I think we need to push ourselves outside of our comfort zone and at least entertain new perspectives. And then you decide, does that seem true to you? Not true to you? Maybe you need to investigate a little more. You know, I have found that when I hear something brand new for the first time, it's easy to reject it. Just easy to say, I, I'm not going I'm, I'm to believe that. But it, you know, sometimes you have to dig in and it takes a while to really learn something and you have to hear something over and over. And then it's, and then it kind of starts to, to make a little more sense and ring a little bit more true. So I think it's a good, good exercise to stretch your, your, what your, um, you know, normal thinking, what mainstream thinking is and, and listen to some stuff that's a little outside the box. Yeah. And if you guys want to look into Amanda Vollmer, um, her website is yummy doctor, yummy doctor.com. Uh, <laughs> I love that name. <laughs> yeah. Yummy doctor.com. And Dr. Thomas Cowan is a C O W A N Dr. Thomas Cowan. And um, they both are out of the box thinkers, really testing what we have thought was true. The thing about Amanda is she's been practicing that way for 20 years. She's firm in her facts. She knows what she knows. And she just, she presents that. I've been practicing long enough now that I've, I've seen the differences. I've seen how pets respond. I watch how cancer behaves in pets' bodies and I've seen the responses. So I feel really confident in making recommendations that are not the, you know, quote unquote, mainstream or conventional care, because I've seen how dogs respond. I've seen how they respond to eating raw food and doing more natural treatments. And, you know, I, I just see amazing results sometimes. Um, so that, that definitely helps. And it can be harder for practitioners to, I think, take that leap and, and practice something they've never practice before because we don't want our patients to be guinea pigs, but they can be learning from other practitioners. That's what I did. I listened to lots of courses and, and, you know, webinars and things like that. And I hear about what other vets are doing. And then you just kind of, you know, start slowly, but I think encouraging your veterinarian, if they're not thinking outside the box to maybe do that. I mean, that's how I would get started. Sometimes somebody would ask me about, some treatment modality, and maybe I'd never used it before, but that would start me learning about it. So, you know, ask about things, encourage your veterinarians to maybe try some outside the box things. You know, maybe they, if, if they get asked enough times by enough different clients, maybe that would help encourage them to, you know, start, start to learn about some things um, that are a little bit different because they have to be able, they have to be seeing that the conventional care is not helping patients and is in fact making patients worse. I, they, they just have to be completely, you know, head in the sand if they're not seeing that. And I would think that if they get an, you know, a little nudge to start to learn something, something new that, 
you know, maybe they would take that, um, you know, take that and run with it a little bit. Yeah. And this is where you need to get a second opinion. So get over to a h a vet.com. Dr. Jessica, as she said, she can, um, review blood work. She can review any of your records. She can look at it from a holistic perspective. So your first step uh, is to get a second opinion. Get over to ahavet.com. Get your dog on a species appropriate diet. You've got to get the diet right. You've got to get the processed foods, the processed treats, the crappy supplements out of the diet. If you are currently on a commercial diet and you're not seeing digestive issues, you're not seeing skin issues resolve, try a raw diet. We've seen uh, incredible results when you give them real meat, real bone, real organs. All right. Get over to rawdogfoodandco.com where your pet's health is our business and friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Bye-bye. Oh, snap. Find out how you can start your dog on the road to health and longevity. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com, where friends don't let friends feed kibble and where your pet's health is our business. Just snap.